My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. There I sat in the bathroom stall with my face buried in my hands. While it felt like I had been there for an hour, I think the actual elapsed time fell somewhere more in the eight to 10 minute range. I rubbed my eyes and I got that feeling. You know what I'm talking about when you rub them so hard that it feels like you're playing Rainbow Road in Mario Kart. It was then that I felt my phone vibrate in my pocket. It was a text that simply read, are you doing okay? And it was from my now wife. She was sitting at the table with another couple, probably wondering if I had passed out or not. Truth be told, the rehearsal dinner the night before got the best of me. Yes, the third martini was a mistake. And no, I do not want to rehash the long form conversation I had with my friend's mom after that martini. But there I was, sitting in a stall in the Barbudo bathroom in New York City's West Village. I wasn't even going to the bathroom. I was simply resting in solitude. After assuring my wife I was generally fine and I just needed a breather, she asked if I could go order anything for me to help my hangover. Given that we already had pasta, pizza, and every other carb that you could imagine arriving at our table shortly, I couldn't really muster up any suggestions. And with a heavy heart and a pounding headache, I washed my hands and I made my way back to the table. I didn't have high expectations as I approached, but once I arrived, my expectations were immediately surpassed. What was sitting there waiting for me, you may be wondering? Well, the internet kindly refers to it as the Holy Trinity. For any novices out there, allow me to explain. The centerpiece of any good Holy Trinity is quite simple, just a cold glass of ice water. And we're not talking anything fancy. It could be tap water that they pour for you as you sit down, or if you're feeling bougie, you could order that sparkling water. You could maybe even flex and ask for a sparkling water list, which they definitely don't have on hand. But as for me, I would prefer that my hangover waters to fit the following mold. The largest vessel the restaurant has to offer, ice filled up two thirds the height of the glass, and if I'm really feeling saucy, I'll even request a lemon to get that much needed digestive help on my darkest days. Of course, you can add anything to your own as well. If you have a rogue liquid IV in your bag, go ahead and toss that in there. If you need an energy boost for, and the rest of the Trinity has yet to get to the table, just squirt some Mio energy in there. Or if you follow suit with me by simply asking for some citrus accoutrements, I'm not going to blame you. At the end of the day, no matter the hangover, no matter the circumstances, the trademark hangover cure is simply hydration. And honestly, what better way to hydrate than a glass of pure, ice cold water. Now we have the drink you're most likely to get delivered to the table next, a coffee. And yes, it can be any type of coffee, a classic diner drip straight from the pot, an iced Americano with a splash of oat milk, a flat white that will look ravishing on your Instagram story. Or wait, did someone at the end of the table just order a cappuccino? You know what? That sounds good. I'm going to do one of those too. On my most hungover days, I don't require much. The aforementioned ice water, a good rom-com that I can dive into, and some outside energy. And where am I getting that energy? Well, by drinking far too much coffee. The restaurant may not approve of this move, but I always like to try to snag a coffee before heading out so I just have something to sip on during my downtime. Will they let me toss my plastic iced coffee cup on the table even though I didn't buy it there? Well, that's a little up in the air. But either way, out of the three pillars of the Holy Trinity, I think the coffee portion is definitely my favorite when it comes to all the options. But now, the main event. A true saving grace in a day that felt all but lost but just minutes ago. 
the coup de grace for your hangover, but also a slippery slope if you let it get ahead of you. Yes, I'm talking about the alcohol portion of the spread, and no, I'm not going to be much more specific than that. Frankly, any alcoholic drink will do here to complete your trifecta. Obviously, you have your brunch favorites, your mimosas, your Bloody Marys, your Palomas, or even an extra gingery mule. Every hangover has its own beast, so it doesn't feel right telling anyone that you can only complete their trinity with a mimosa or bloody. Sometimes a beer may help. A great man once said, the best detox is retox, and while that methodology can get you in trouble, it is scientifically proven that your hangover symptoms can be reduced using a splash of booze in any given drink. Will they return the next day, albeit a little less severe? Well, yeah, but a little temporary reprieve will go a long way for your mental health. Boozy brunches have officially become a young man's game that I'm too creaky to play, but I'm doing this at home. Doing this at home will still go a long way for you. As for me, I'm a pretty run-of-the-mill Holy Trinity orderer. Ice water, a double espresso shot, and a color the water mimosa that I can only really handle two of. But if I ever find myself at Barbudo in the West Village again, maybe I'll mix in a glass of red or a bottle of Lambrusco for the table. I'll just have to make sure that my wife orders it while I get my life together in the bathroom. Oh well. Early bird CBD gummies are a recreational hemp product that contain around 2.5 milligrams of natural THC and around 12.5 milligrams of CBD in each gummy. Unlike a lot of gummies out there, these are formulated for fun and to make you feel good. Early Bird has been a supporter of this podcast since its very inception, and it's a product that I use more often than not. Having one at night before settling in for a movie, having one before a concert so I don't really feel too dusty the next day, there are so many uses for these things, and they are so tasty, and they just work so well to relax, and some people even use them to pregame before they go out. Whether you use them for those reasons or anything else, I promise you will love these gummies. Early Bird's based in Austin, so they're a hometown favorite of mine. And Early Bird, they were one of the original advertisers at Washed Media, and so they've been supporting us for as long as we've been supporting them. If you want to get 20% off of everything at earlybirdcbd.com, head over to earlybirdcbd.com and use promo code SCARIES. Again, earlybirdcbd.com, promo code SCARIES, and this is a one-use code. So when you use it, make sure to load that card up with as many gummies as you can. Enjoy. It's become tradition for me to write down goals for myself at the beginning of each year. In doing this, I try to stay away from things that fall more into the New Year's resolution category because those commitments can feel fleeting to me, probably from personal experience. In previous years, I've had some fairly straightforward goals for myself that I've even read out loud on the podcast. In 2020, I had things like get a new car, plan an international trip, reduce how much beer I'm drinking in favor of drinking something else. Of course, there were some more personal items on that list as well, but those were very attainable goals that I set for myself that wouldn't really alter my life if they're accomplished or not. When it comes to work, I've been a little more hesitant about setting goals in the past. Frankly, goal setting is something I've completely resisted in the past for no other reason than I'm hoping to avoid failure. I've had managers press me to set goals that I didn't feel were attainable, and my fear was always that the realistic expectations I set for myself came off as laziness because my goals didn't match up with theirs. In one circumstance, I flat out refused to accept a goal that my manager had set out for me. Not only did I think the goal was too lofty, but it was something I didn't think warranted all the effort that should be thrown at it. We ended up setting that goal, falling short despite our efforts, and the team considered it a failure despite the positive progress that we actually did make. 
It was frustrating, defeating, and most of all, it made me realize how scattered our team actually was when it came to having a common goal. Last year, while having drinks with a colleague of mine, they asked how long I thought it would be before the Sunday Scaries Instagram would hit 100,000 followers. I think at the time we were around, I don't know, 40,000? I think it was around April, which meant we had a healthy amount of the year ahead of us. Not really putting too much thought into it, I tossed out there that I could have it done by the end of the year. I didn't look at numbers, I didn't look at growth statistics, and truthfully, I took nothing into account when I finally said, you know what, yeah, I could do it by the end of the year. By all means, this was not a business meeting. Nothing we said or daydreamed about was something that would be brought up or discussed with anybody else. And to be totally transparent, I didn't really care if the account had 100,000 followers or not as long as people were enjoying the content and, were and we were moving in the right direction. Those big round numbers, they obviously feel good, but most times they are essentially useless outside of just being a goal that you set for yourself. But for some reason, that specific conversation stuck with me more than most talking shop conversations do. It could have been because momentum was heading in the right direction or because nobody was supervising me so it didn't really matter if it was accomplished or not, but I think it really stuck with me because I knew that in some way, in some form, it was doable. As the year began to come to a close, it kind of became evident that I wasn't going to reach it. That April conversation soon turned into a November pipe dream, but it still remains something I wanted to do whether it was in December 2021 or April 2022. When it happened, stopped mattering as er, it stopped mattering as long as I knew that I was making progress every week, and that was something that I felt like I was doing, so I really didn't worry about it. And this past week, it finally happened. Nearly a year ago to the day of the original conversation, the account reached six figures. I should have felt accomplished. I should have felt a weight off of my shoulders. I should have poured a drink to celebrate a goal that really only I cared about. But instead, I kind of just felt honestly nothing. Well, I mean, not nothing, nothing, but I didn't feel as though reaching the goal had altered my life in any other way other than having a number and not having that number in my head anymore. Of course, it's also possible that Instagram followers simply aren't the most satisfying or inspiring thing in the world, something we should all probably realize at some point or another. And as I thought about this more, I soon began to realize that this feeling wasn't unfamiliar. In fact, it's something that others have dealt with on a much grander scale than I can even fathom, and it's called a rival fallacy. Because I won't be able to explain this nearly as well as the person who came up with the term, I'll allow Harvard psychologist Tal Ben-Shahar to do that instead. He said, A rival fallacy is the illusion that once we make it, once we attain our goal or reach our destination, we will reach lasting happiness, he told the New York Times. The article continues with more from him. He said, These individuals start out happy, but they say to themselves, It's okay because when I make it, then I'll be happy. But then they make it, and while they may feel briefly fulfilled, the feeling doesn't last. This time, he continues, they're unhappy, but more than they're unhappy without hope. And that's the scary part. And he finally said, because they lived under the illusion, while the false hope, that once they make it, they will be happy, that is why they're now not happy. So essentially, you set a goal for yourself with the idea that it will make you happy. And when you finally get there, you realize that happiness is about more than just the actual accomplishment. I've always wondered how painters know when their work is done. Is it something they see with their eyes, or is it something they feel when they can't pour any more into it? Rarely do artists keep every painting they've completed, so I'd like to assume that they wouldn't be painting if the process itself wasn't something that motivated them. Of course, I'm not numb to the idea that reaching an Instagram follower goal is something that obviously shouldn't provide lifelong happiness. It's a tool to help grow a business, but it's not a blank check that can allow me to retire early. 
The example that the New York Times and other articles have cited range from professors getting tenure to actors starring in massive HBO shows with massive paychecks to athletes winning championships. All things that we've been taught or conditioned to believe will result in a lifetime full of happiness. So have I, how have I reckoned with this? Not just with Instagram, but with other accomplishments that seem to have fell flat? Well, I'm kind of still yet to find out. Maybe it's the whole, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey mantra. The idea that the process of doing things we love is more satisfactory than actually washing our hands of those things and putting them in our rear view mirror. Either way, 200,000 followers is a long way off, so maybe it's time that I find a goal that's more personally fulfilling than building an Instagram following. Maybe it's time to revisit that drink less beer goal as we get closer to summer. A crispy Sauvignon Blanc sounds pretty good right about now. What if I told you there was a place online that had a gift for everybody that you could come up with? And not just a gift, but a gift at a reasonable price. I'm talking about Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods is, honestly, you just have to check it out. It's an online shop filled with unique, totally unexpected gifts. And when I say unexpected, I truly mean original things that help someone understand that you really get them. And with Mother's Day coming up on May 8th, don't forget, now is the perfect time to check out the site for some ways to say thanks to mom or for whoever it is who is a mom to you. Here's a few of the favorite gifts that we found on the site. One of my favorites is called the Unwind Lavender Set. You can grow lavender, it has pillow spray, a scented candle, and even a sleep mask, and it's only $55, which means that for, I mean, a very good price, you can give them four different gifts and they will love them all. Uncommon Goods is a place to go for thoughtful, original gifts for every type of parent on Mother's Day. The kind of gifts that say thanks for helping me grow, thanks for being there for me, and thanks for always letting me win. Or even just, you know, giving me snacks. That works too. They, have, they even have experiences that you can gift. You can give your mom a flower arranging class or a cocktail making class and plenty of other online virtual experiences that they can even do together if you want. They've got plenty of DIY gifts too if that's her scene. They look for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They don't sell products made with leather, feathers, or fur. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com scaries. That's uncommongoods.com scaries for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, they're all out of the ordinary. Now, looking down from the press box, I pointed to the huge grassy meadow enclosed by the track. That whole thing, I said, will be jammed with people, 50,000 or so, and most of them staggering drunk. It's a fantastic scene. Thousands of people fainting, crying, copulating, trampling each other and fighting with broken whiskey bottles. We'll have to spend some time out there, but it's hard to move around. Too many bodies. If you're familiar with the Kentucky Derby is decadent and depraved by Hunter S. Thompson, that line and paragraph probably sounds pretty familiar to you. If you've ever been to the Kentucky Derby or even watched it on television that first Saturday in May, you know exactly what he's talking about, the infield. It's a place where tens of thousands of people gather to do anything but watch a horse race. It's a place to people watch, to celebrate the beautiful Louisville weather, and of course, get absolutely annihilated on everything they have to offer. And their trademark drink, of course, it's the mint julep. Truth be told, I didn't have my first mint julep until I went to my first Kentucky Derby. I'm not sure what constitutes being a Derby veteran at this point, but I'd like to think that my four experiences at Churchill Downs make me somewhat of a veteran at this point. I hope so, at least. At first sip, I was shocked by something that I absolutely shouldn't have been shocked by, the sheer amount of booziness that crossed my palate. 
The bourbon, in this case Woodford Reserve, is an overwhelming taste that is mint, bitters, and simple syrups simply fall by the wayside in the most perfect of ways. One becomes two, two became three, and three became somewhat blurry. But one thing I decided that day, I was officially in love with mint juleps, whether they were in their commemorative glass or not. Every year right around this time, I begin to crave one. Probably because I haven't had one since the last Kentucky Derby I went to, but also because it simply doesn't feel right watching the race without having a heavy pour right in front of you. The Kentucky Derby is ripe with tradition, something most of us love about the event. The oversized and ornate hats, singing my old Kentucky home, the rose garland, but you'd be pressed to find anything more Kentucky than the bourbon flowing through everyone's veins as they anxiously await the main event. And as it goes with any tradition, especially ones involving cocktails, I had to look up the history of the drink itself. One source noted that, and I quote, the julep got its first start as a medicinal concoction used to settle the stomach. As a cocktail, it blossomed in the American South in the late 1700s with a decidedly elite air because not everyone had access to ice nor the silver or pewter cup in which the drink is served. Town & Country Magazine noted that the drink was first written about in 1803 where it was said that it's a dram of spirituous liquor that has mint in it taken by Virginians in the morning. Kentucky U.S. Senator Henry Clay then brought the drink to the Round Robin Bar in Washington, D.C., where it gained even more popularity. And through its history, it's gotten acclaim from everyone ranging from U.S. presidents to F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway to Confederate generals who drank them for breakfast. Aggressive, to say the least. But much like every other famous cocktail in the world, there's always some controversy over how it should be made, who brought it where, and how it came to be. Who's right and who's wrong? Well, it doesn't really matter once you've taken your first sip. So how do you make one, you're probably wondering? Well, the ingredients are very straightforward. Any bourbon of your choice, choice as long as it's actually bourbon, mint, as many sprigs as you see fit, and about a quarter ounce of simple syrup and maybe some bitters, which can be optional. While it would be ideal to make the concoction in a silver or pewter cup, a highball glass will also work. From there, you simply need to take your simple syrup and mint leaves and muddle them in the bottom of your glass. I'm an over-muddler myself, but that's neither really here nor there. You then add bourbon, don't be afraid to have a heavy hand, and pack the glass full of crushed ice. Crushed ice is essential as other ice cubes just simply won't do the trick. Please just trust me on this rather than trying it. You're then supposed to stir everything until there's a layer of frost that graces your julep cup and then garnish it with that leftover mint. Of course, if you want to add some bitters, you're more than free to do so. As a bitters fan myself, I've always found that a few don't hurt. So whether you found yourself in the infield of Churchill Downs or you're simply looking to enjoy a cool buzz on your Saturday afternoon this upcoming weekend, look no further than a traditional mint julep when you're betting on some ponies. This year, I've got my money on Mo Donegal which means you should probably put your money elsewhere. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. And you can also follow along on Twitter, at SundayScaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at WillTheFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. I'll see you next Sunday.